project that we got started uh, happened courtesy of some matching funding um, between the Alberta Mentoring Partnership and an organization called MyTax. So I, we always have to recognize where our funding come, comes from so we can do the work that we do. All right. Um, we shared our slides with you. Okay, so I likely am not going to be reading verbatim from it because I just don't do that anyway. Um, but what I want to do is just kind of set up the stage, which has happened all lar largely already. Thank you to Michael and uh, Christina and Baradik. We're going to talk about the findings of a project that we did and run into our next steps. Okay. So basically, we've we've heard this before and this will not come as a shock. Um, I've been working in the human service field for over 20 years. I was talking to Michael from the, the city earlier and 20 years ago we were asking, where's the guys? Where's the guys? How do we bring in the guys? We're still talking about that. Specifically within the, within the mentoring world, right? This is not just a Canadian thing or an American thing. This seems to be a uh, global issue about a lack of male mentors. Um, Thank you, Michael. Right, so for example, based upon some data from Big Brothers Big Sisters from last year, right, relative ratio of female to male mentors is still about two to one. Right, and that might be an op op optimistic number. I'm not sure how that matches with your world and experience. Right? Specifically from an agency in Toronto that spoke to, right? Recognize that there's about 500 littles waiting. Some have been waiting for a very long time and the majority of them are boys. Here within Alberta and some local research uh, that was done partly through the Alberta Mentoring Par Partnership, right? What we do know is that women, young uh, women, what in the academic world we're starting to call emerging <coughs> a, a emerging a adults, pardon me, are far more likely to mentor. Right, so globally, maybe two to one in some other rural centers, and maybe in your center, the ratio may be three to one. We get the we we get the message. Going more local within a particular mentoring organization here in the city that we spoke to, there was over 900 kids on the wait list, two-thirds of which were young boys. Okay. Now I could spend the next three hours talking about masculinities and men mentorship. Mercifully, from your perspective, I will not. Okay, but right, it says we could sit and the theorize and look historically why this is and where we've got here. And for those of you who are so inclined, you can read the egghead papers that we're going to be putting out in the next year or so. Well, it's a couple of things that we do want that I do want to say. And for those of you who have uh, either Listen to our our podcast that we did with Michael, or we're at the learning day in May. You'll you'll have heard this before, but it seems that so whenever I talk about the work I do with men and with fathers and with young boys, right? Anytime we talk about gender and things like this, there are a lot of gender pol pol politics involved. There's there's a challenge about being inclusive. Um, so, I, so frankly, I want to share with you, I get anxious still talking about this stuff after years and years and years, okay? Because this is where I come from, and this is what's important to me, and this is, this is kind of what guides my work, okay? Why do we care about mentors? Why do we care about male mentors? Is it about where are all the boys? Is it about what about the boys? Okay. When I hear things like that, right, it brings to mind what I would call a false dichotomy. 
Sometimes when we hear these things in the media, God forbid, on social media, right? Oftentimes the what about the boys gets trumpeted, right? In such a way that if we're supporting the boys, all the women and girls go down here. That's ridiculous. Okay? Straight up. My soapbox, my, my belief. Okay? We are mentoring, we're interested in this because we care about the kids who come next. This is about creating a healthy society for my children, my grandchildren, and my grandchildren's grandchildren. Right? And gender is still socially defined and what it looks like for me as a middle-aged white dude is not going to be the same necessarily as it might look like for, for Andy. Oh, terror. I don't know. Okay? But to echo what Michael said, right? We want to take an inclusive lens. There's a typo on this slide. It should be masculinities. There's no one way, there's no one right way to be a guy. Right? Different, way, different ways of being a man have been privileged. But I would encourage us as we're having a respectful dialogue today to recognize the diversity and to respect and to recognize that my gender intersects with my, cla my class, because we do have classism here in this country, with my race, with my culture, with all sorts of things. Okay? So there is no one right way. By default, unfortunately, in some of these presentations, we talk about men as this massive group, but we know we are a diverse group. Okay? So that's, my, that's our launching point. We good? All right. Um, now that we've got, gotten that out of the way and reduced my angst, thank you for that, I, I personally feel better. All right. What do we do? We've heard from Christina and Veronica that there is next to no Canadian research in the community mentoring field. And by next to no, I mean none. Okay? And we found this out the hard way, as we'll see. But what we wanted to do, we got a little quick and dirty short-term grant to take a look at um, kind of the state of male mentoring in, gen in gen general. What do we know? Right? So we start off, because we're academics, we start off by looking at the lit. What have other smart people done? Right? So we did with this thing called a scoping review. Right? Looked out, found whatever we could about the topic. Then we figure, you know what, fine. This is what all the really smart people have done. Let's talk to the actually smart people. Right? And we talked and we reached out to a number of uh, org orgs across the country who do this kind of work to learn from them. And we're still going to be doing a survey upcoming, which you'll hear more about later. All right? But these are kind of the challenge. This is what we looked at in our lit. Right? What are the challenges of recruiting and retaining men in a mentorship role? What are, are their best practices? How should we be doing this? Right? So challenges, best practices. And much like we've already heard, when we look at the, the, the peer-reviewed journal articles, the things that people with lots of letters after the name like me are supposed to go and read and write for, nothing. There's zero. We have never done a lit search before that turned up zero results. So we thought, crap, how are we going to do a review when there's nothing to review? Right? which in and of itself is an interesting finding. Right? So what we did do is we expanded it, right? because the academic uh, world, shockingly, I know, is not like the be-all and the end-all. Um, so we took a look at what's the so-called gray lit, right? things like program evaluations, 
things that um, community organizations put out, things that Mentor US put out, and things of that nature, right? And when we looked through all of through those things, which is what we largely had to rely upon, so four key themes emerged, which I don't think are going to be terribly shocking for you. have done this for a while. Right. Uh, underrepresentation of men is not unique to mentoring. Right? You see it lots in the so-called historically female-dominated professions, female-dominated within the last 200 years, but that's another topic. Um, things like education, nursing, social work. Right? Right? So really, enhancing the visibility of men in roles in the so-called caring professions is not new and it's not unique. Okay? The other theme, some things that's, that is starting to emerge and we're starting to see, we're starting to see work that, that um, is really focusing on trying to articulate the benefits of being a mentor for those who are doing the mentoring. Right? And the research, it's, the research is still itty-bitty, it's still growing, but it comes from a uh, tradition that seems to show, right, um, and again, I've got to be careful how I state this because it's still so very new, but we're looking at the basically, it seems to be that those who are involved in a mentoring role tend, tend to be healthier overall on a number of metrics. Exactly what that means and what that looks like, we're still sorting that out. And by we, I mean everybody. Theme number three, most of the stuff comes from the states. They have a rather unique cultural perspective and view on things, and there's an over-representation, over a preponderance of work geared towards uh, minority populations. Because it's in the States, most of it is, works, is on work on how to mentor and work with um, young, young black men, right? Okay, so again, our Canadian work is greatly needed. Okay, and also the fact Right, that it's important to connect men, young men, old, 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 older men as well, frankly, with males who can serve as their own mentors and role models. Okay, so some men to men um, links. Okay. And these themes came, again, from our gray lit, as well as some literature on mentoring from related fields. Okay? Very little specific to our community mentoring piece. Okay? Now, after, so after we pulled together the, that lit, lit review, Vincenza conducted and enviro scan, which is a big fancy word that said we talk to people. mentorship, school-based mentorship, there were corporate mentorship opportunities, etc. Um, and across agencies, they were also at various stages in their male recruitment efforts. So some have been trying for years to get more men involved, um, whereas others were just starting out male-specific programs. Can I do a sound check? Can everybody hear okay? Okay. Thank you. So just as a broad summary of the results, the majority of participants I spoke to um, spoke more frequently about challenges with recruitment relative to retention. So what I heard from most people that was that once they get men in the door, they get them engaged and interested in mentorship, they're not experiencing 
as many challenges in terms of retention. And when retention does come up as a challenge, it's often the same reasons that we're seeing with women. So for example, uh, family life change, there's a new child. Um, mom and dad both don't really feel like they have time to take on a mentoring role because they have changes within their own family. Um, so retention challenges are similar amongst men and women, but it's the recruitment where we're seeing significantly more challenges recruiting men. Um, additionally, probably not to any surprise, there are a greater amount of female relative to male mentors. There's more male youth on a wait list relative to females. Um, and interestingly enough, even at an organizational level, so your staff, volunteers, we're seeing a greater proportion of females. Um, so when I asked individuals to comment on the state of male mentorship, this was a, something I frequently heard that across their staff as well as their volunteers, um, they're seeing this overrepresentation of women. All right, and this individual just spoke more specifically to challenges in terms of keeping an engaged male staff member as part of their team. Um, so within the interviews, I also posed the question of why individuals from different agencies think that there is this discrepancy between men and women that are deciding to become a mentor. And these are just some reasons that were described within the interviews. So, Taking care of children is being perceived more so as women's work, women as natural helpers, mentoring is more of a female type thing to do, um, as well as the perception that the human services field is primarily female dominated. And this speaks to what Phil mentioned earlier, that if we look at education or social work or nursing, historically there is that overrepresentation of women. Um, these are just some additional reasons that were given. Um, but I think what's particularly important is this perception that agencies are predominantly female-based. Um, when men walk in, they might not see themselves as having a place or belonging if they're um, surrounded just by females. Vincenzo, do you want questions at the end or as you're going through it? Um, I can answer one. <clears throat> There's a question here. Yes. Just when you were talking, and I know this was limited, Sorry, limited e scan. Yeah. Did any of the agencies talk about fear from a male mentor's perspective? It is a theme that I'm hearing consistently. You know what? I think that's in two slides. Okay. Oh, <laughs> yes. Thanks. I have the same question. So. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely, that was very um, a common theme. And I'd imagine if you spoke to men themselves, that would be something. That and that's what we've been speaking to, and it's this fear yeah. of um, how they would be perceived. Yeah. Definitely. My question is, um, <clears throat> I've been doing this work for over 30 years, and this yeah. is not new, and it's so frustrating. Mm -hmm. When you ask um, those questions about why men aren't volunteering, were yeah. you asking the female staff of these agencies, or were you getting this information from men? I spoke to... Because I'm wondering if we're making assumptions, because... I did speak to male participants you did. as well, okay, so out right. of the nine, I think four were men, three or four. It wasn't all... Yeah, definitely wasn't all women. Because our frustration is, you know, over all these years we've been sort of thinking, well, this must be the reason why, but yeah. we're not. My boss asked our board members, we have several male <coughs> board members, and our assumptions were completely wrong about why. Yeah, they and I think that's a very valuable yeah. point. Um, so we did make a point of having men within our sample, <coughs> but I think that's certainly a future direction. We need to hear more about their we perspective. Need to hear we yeah. do. I completely agree. And sorry, was there also talk, and it might be more slides that are coming mm -hmm. up, but in regards to the advertisements in general for mentors? Yeah. Okay. All mm -hmm. to come. <laughs> Should we just wait till the end? <laughs> Maybe that works. <laughs> right. Yes. Um, this is a. I found this quotation from this particular participant to be quite interesting, so I thought I would include it. Um, and it actually was from a male. He was talking about how this word mentor might just be very intimidating and associated with um, the expectation of having to have your life together, everything figured out in order to be an effective mentor. And that, that's not necessarily the case. There's um, you know, a lot of value in someone that <coughs> is looking to connect with the youth, is looking to give back, et cetera. Um, but the word itself just might be daunting and it might be off-putting for men. 
Um, so speaking to your point, there is also this fear of false allegations that some individuals spoke of that men have. Um, public perception surrounding, you know, what will people think of me if they see me out in the community with this youth? I'm not their parent. I might, um, you know, feel uncomfortable in that setting, and that might be a large deterrent for men. Um, additionally, work schedules and location. So in Alberta particularly, a large proportion of men do do shift work, and that poses a challenge in terms of meeting with a mentee on a regular, consistent basis. And that barrier might not, well, Based on what participants said, they don't believe that it applies equally to women, that men are more overrepresented in shift work, and therefore this is more of a unique challenge. Um, in terms of expanding more traditional mentorship opportunities, people I spoke with talked about um, offering group programming and school support programs, cross-peer mentorship in schools, leadership conferences. So these are all different ways of engaging um, men and boys in mentorship that aren't necessarily that traditional one-on-one -on -one match. Um, so just as an example, this could involve pairing <coughs> high students with high school students. Um, it can be in a group setting or a one-on-one -on -one setting. Um, and interestingly enough, someone that I spoke to that does do exclusively school-based mentorship talked about how they have the same challenges pitching mentorship to young boys. Um, so the high school girls are a lot more likely to want to be involved in a cross-peer mentorship relative to the boys, um, which raises the question of, you know, how can we pitch it in a way that's engaging for boys and maybe prime them for mentorship later in life? Um, peer recruitment was also mentioned as a potential strategy for how we can get boys more involved in mentoring if they hear it from someone of their same age who is a mentor themselves. It might come across as more genuine, given that they have that experience. Um, and even though retention challenges weren't mentioned that frequently within the interviews, I just included this one slide uh, because I thought that it was quite an effective strategy that someone talked about. Um, so this participant mentioned that she often reconnects with past mentors if she finds that there's a match between the mentee and the mentor in terms of interest. So for example, she had an old mentor who is no longer with the agency. She called him up and said, I have a male adolescent who's also interested in rock climbing. I know this is an interest of yours. And that was a way that she re-engaged him in the agency by drawing on that shared interest. Um, so now I'll talk more specifically about the recruitment strategies that are embedded within the toolkit. Um, and we will have a lot of time at the end to talk amongst ourselves about them. And, make some additions or edits as you see fit. So involving current male mentors was a strategy that was talked about quite frequently within my interviews. So this could involve asking mentors, do they have any recruitment ideas? How did they themselves become involved in mentorship? Um, or do they have friends that they think would also make good mentors? So drawing on the existing resources that we have. Um, one participant I spoke to talked about how their agency does regular coffee meetings. So they'll take out a potential mentor, they'll meet with them one-on-one, -on -one, answer their questions, make um, sorry application material available and accessible at this meeting. So really streamlining the process as much as we can and being as individualized as we can as well. Um, so, in general, current male mentors really can serve as advocates in the broader community, um, and they can help other men potentially see that mentorship is something for them and something that they would enjoy. Um, this is just a quotation illustrating kind of the power of hearing about an opportunity from someone who is doing it themselves. So we're not hearing about mentorship primarily from recruitment staff, but also current mentors who can speak to their own benefits and personal experiences might um, have a bit more power or impact. Um, other organizations have volunteer appreciation nights where they will ask current male mentors to bring friends who might be interested um, in becoming a mentor themselves and application materials can be made available at this event as well. So doing whatever we can to make getting involved as easy and accessible as possible. 
Um, these are just some additional examples of more male-oriented events that participants mentioned. Um, so for example, having a recruitment event around watching a sports game might be something that's engaging. Um, just as an additional benefit of hosting events, um, the thought came up during one of my interviews that it might actually be an effective retention strategy because not only are we bringing in other men, but we're also allowing current male mentors to meet other mentors and develop a different kind of relationship so they can talk about their mentoring experiences um, and develop you know, an adult friendship as well out of their volunteer work. This was also a very interesting strategy that someone I spoke to mentioned. Um, and they talked a lot about looking at whatever community you're a part of and thinking about which partners you can make um, sort of relationships or connections with. And in this particular community, they were finding that barber shops were a really effective place for them to connect with men and tell them about mentorship. Um, they found that men were less guarded or less um, sort of resistant to talking about these opportunities in this particular setting. Um, so something to consider as well. Um, other examples of community partnerships, and this is something that's quite frequent, is um, pairing up with popular athletes within the community. Having them in advertisements, campaigns, um, etc. can help to raise awareness and maybe inspire other men to become involved. So these are just some additional strategies. Um, I think something that's very important and we might take for granted is just taking the time to actually talk to men about what mentorship really does involve. I think, what it does involve. I think there's a lot of misconceptions. Um, some people I spoke to talked about how um, when men started with their organization, they were shocked that it wasn't uh, primarily academically oriented. They thought they would be helping kids read or do spelling or um, providing homework help, and that they were um, shocked and excited by the fact that they could do sports with kids. They could go camping. They could um, engage in a similar hobby, mechanics, bike repair, something like that. So taking the time to explain to men these are the activities that you could take part in really can help to challenge these misconceptions. Um, this also raises the question of well do I need to be good at sports or do I need to have the skills to become a mentor um, and I think it's the answer is very well highlighted by this participant who talked about how it can be very powerful for a youth to feel like they're good at something and they have something to teach someone else particularly an adult um, so that, you know, we don't necessarily have to have these athletic abilities, but it's more the willingness to connect and engage um, yeah, that would be more important. Um, another strategy is getting personal, and this is something that's described in detail in the toolkit as well. Um, from a staff perspective, this might involve thinking about your own lives, your own family members, peers, colleagues, is there anyone that you know that would be a positive male role model? model? Um, can you reach out to them about becoming a mentor themselves and using our existing social connections to maybe bring people in? Um, it's very likely that men might not be aware that there are mentorship opportunities um, within organizations and that they are specifically looking for men. More so in an employment context is what I've heard from participants. They talked about how um, men didn't think that certain organizations um, were specifically recruiting them. So making that visible. Um, right. Additionally, recruitment efforts, you know, speaking to the universality of mentorship um, is another strategy that was brought up. So it's, um, you know, men might be able to empathize with not having a caring, consistent adult in their life when they were growing up and speaking to the opportunity to provide this for someone else. So I spoke a bit about this already, but just um, in an employment context, men might just be unaware that the agency specifically is looking to hire maybe a male recruitment staff or something like that. So making that very visible and apparent. 
And many participants I spoke to stated that when they did take this personal approach um, and told a male within their life that you know they could really use them in their program, they would value their perspective, they were very much willing to become involved in mentorship. Um, and this one individual stated that you know, she believes they're equally as nurturing and capable as women, which I think is a very important point. Another strategy is just taking the time to look at our communities and think about who we can build relationships and connections with. Um, so one organization I spoke to talked about how they've made um, a concerted effort to really build relationships with Indigenous communities that they're close with. Um, and in doing so, they attend events, they volunteer, they get to know elders and leaders in the community. Um, and then when they're in the position where they're looking to recruit male mentors, they already have this existing relationship that they can draw on. Instead of just you know, coming into a community and asking for volunteers, you're um, making an effort to be part of it and to engage with them. There's some additional strategies. In terms of group-based activities, uh, several participants talked about for boys on a wait list, instead of just leaving them on a wait list and letting that number accumulate, we can have group programming for boys where they might go to a male-oriented workspace, an auto body shop, for example. Um, they can learn from the staff there what their job entails, what was the education that was required. Um, and essentially, it gives <coughs> men an opportunity to see and to learn a little bit about what it might be like to be a mentor um, and for boys to have this male mentorship in a group setting. Um, one individual I spoke to talked about how there's really this power in a group dynamic in terms of shifting perceptions of men from youth maybe as troublemakers or up to no good um, to kids who are just in need of some extra care and some extra time. And after exposure in this group setting, they were more comfortable with the mentorship role. Um, this is just a brief note on the importance of language. So when we are creating advertisement materials, when we are engaging in conversations, just being mindful of the language that we're using um, when we're speaking to men about mentorship. And just as an example on this next slide, one individual I spoke with talked about how, um, in her experience, emphasizing being caring or nurturing um, wasn't as effective. And she described um, sort of talking more so about activities that mentors could engage in with the youth as an effective strategy. Um, so for example, you know, if you like to play basketball, you could be a mentor. So opening up the possibilities um, in that sense. Um, it's also important to actually have pictures of men in advertisement materials, and some agencies actually take pictures of real matches um, within places in their community that others are aware of as a way of engaging men. Um, expansion of traditional mentorship opportunities also came up, and again, speaking to the Alberta climate and the proportion of men that are engaging in shift work, having shared mentorship opportunities is something that organizations have tried out. So pairing two men who might be you know, one week off, one week on, um, so they can still provide consistent mentoring to a youth, um, and they're sharing that amongst their schedules. Um, another opportunity for shared mentorship could be couples mentoring. So a husband and wife um, could also mentor youth together. Um, and at the top of the slide, just corporate mentorship, which is um, a lot of people described as being this easier sell because the youth in some circumstances are actually brought to the workplace at lunch um, and men can spend that time with them instead of having to build it into their own schedule. It's made um, quite accessible and feasible. This quotation just talks to the shared mentoring again. additional recruitment strategies. I'll just provide some examples of these. Um, so tailoring the pitch is another strategy that came up across several interviews. Um, and this is just an example someone gave me. Um, if we're talking to police officers and we're looking to engage them as mentors, we can speak to the power of mentorship in terms of um, 
you know, a form of early intervention, helping youth who might be at risk, shifting their trajectory in a positive direction, something like that. Um, other examples they gave is if we're talking to university students who maybe have aspirations for grad school, med school, et cetera, where there are those volunteer requirements or expectations. Can we talk to them a bit about how mentorship could be a way to differentiate their resume, a way to gain volunteer experience, work experience? Um, so just trying to think a little bit about what might be appealing to who we're trying to pitch mentorship to and targeting our advertising or our pitch accordingly. So taking a look at our own communities as well, are there certain male-dominated industries that require volunteer work? Um, so firemen, police, et cetera, there's often that requirement um, to become involved in volunteering. Um, again, predominantly male-oriented, so it might be a, um, an avenue to explore. Um, Several individuals also talked about expanding recruitment efforts to target older men as mentors. So maybe men who've had children, grandchildren, um, and are looking to maybe pass on knowledge and experience to another child or youth. Um, and in this particular example, this participant talked about, um, I think a man in his late 70s or 80s who just wanted to teach a youth about mechanics because he taught his son, he taught his grandson, and, now he wanted to share this with someone else. So that's what their mentoring relationship looked like. They worked on cards together. Um, additionally, I think it's important to consider um, you know, the demographic that we're targeting. One individual talked about how within their agency there's a high proportion of millennials. Um, and how for millennials, he finds that they're more interested in you know, maybe what they can get out of volunteering or if they can share or broadcast this with their peers. So thinking about how as an agency can we make uh, mentoring more social media friendly? Is it possible for mentors to share what they're doing um, to sort of get that approval or validation in the peer sense? Um, and he used the term marketing perspective. Um, and this individual talked about looking at volunteering as a product uh, volunteers as a consumer and how we can um, sort of target them accordingly. Um, additional recruitment strategies relative to social media um, involve making information about the program, enrollment as a mentor as easy and accessible as possible. Um, online training or webinars um, could really help one individual I spoke with in Toronto talked about how getting to the center of the city is just sometimes one to two hours, so can we make webinars accessible to people from their home if they want this training as a mentor? Um, additionally, I think there's a lot of power in using real matches in social media ads. Um, and this person talked about how they actually took a picture of a match in the community at a very popular basketball court and that that actually brought in a lot of volunteers. Um, culture also came up within several of my conversations. So how do we explain mentorship to someone who might not have um, you know, an analogy in their, in their language or in their culture? And something we'll talk a little bit about later on today. Um, so thinking about how can we promote or how can we explain mentorship in a culturally meaningful way. And these are just some suggestions based on one of my conversations. So collaborating with community leaders, appealing to men in their language and form where they're at. So these could be religious institutions, for example. Um, and considering the role of culture when we're matching mentors and mentees. We'll talk a little bit more about this later. I'll bring you back up, Phil. I'm, I'm just going to wrap up fairly quickly here because some of the future directions are really where we're going to be going for the rest of our day today. So you don't need to hear me. The one thing that I do want to highlight or just challenge and just question and query is the idea of organizational efforts and representation of men. Okay? In terms of um, something as simple as the posters that are used, uh, ours, 
that, if it, that's, that you're open? What does your staff look like? What magazines are available in your waiting room? Okay. Quick story and true story, right? My daughter turns 18 on Monday. I'm, I'm terrified, but it's not about me. So 18 years ago, right, we were having her at the Green Nuns Hospital, and we spent a few hours walking around the hospital, waiting for her to make her grand entrance, right? And all the posters that were on the wall of the Grey Nuns Hospital 18 years ago, and we're, we're getting better, right? Nice pictures, mom, nurse, nur nurse your baby, put baby on your back to sleep, right? Lots and lots of pictures of mom and baby. There was one poster of George LaRock <laughs> from the Oilers without a shirt on, holding a baby, caption, are you strong enough to be gentle? Don't shake your baby. What message does that send? Hmm? Right? It doesn't tell me what to do. It tells me what not to do. One poster out of literally 30 different ones. I, I, we had lots of times so I started to count them. Okay? We've come a long ways, I hope. Right? Just to think about it. kind of the, the messages and the pictures that we send when we don't even realize we're sending them. Okay? It could be something as simple as, you know what, is there even a baby change station in a family washroom or a men's washroom? That's my that's that still is my personal thing. It bugs me. Alright? What when anyway. But so just be aware of some of the or organizational things and barriers that may or may not be present. And these are complicated and they're layered and they're nuanced and all of that together. Um, da -da -da, what else do we want to do? Okay. We're talking about ongoing research. We're going to be talking more about that later because, right? Part of my challenge, and again, coming full circle to some of my own sort of guiding view of this, right? One of our EnviroScan participants asked the question, how do we raise boys that are not afraid to mentor? Right? I like to take a broader sort of primary prevention approach. And I'd like to change that question to how do we raise healthy, fully functioning young men who knows what it means to be in a healthy relationship and care for others? Because I suspect at its core, that's our goal that we're trying to get at. Right? So our mission over the next couple hours is to answer that question. You ready? Um, first of all, do we have any? Uh, is that it? I don't. I don't. I don't. I don't go for notes. So okay. Are there any questions or comments before we kind of before we go on to the next phase of this adventurous day? Was anybody in the wrong room? <laughs> I, I have one question. I just I asked this though from a position of not having knowledge of the, the, form, the formal piece of, of the mentorship program. Yeah. But I was thinking about organizations and what I'll call certainly informal mentoring. And you have literally hundreds of men, women too, but I'm just because we're focusing on men in the conversation, who are coaches. They're coaches in soccer and football and hockey and all kinds of things. And having been and lived most of my life in part of that world and continuing to do that, there's a lot of informal mentorship that goes on. Now, they don't address the 650 unfortunate kids we're talking about, and I'm not minimizing that. So if that's the focus, I, I and, and that's a great focus, then maybe I'm over here as opposed to on, on point with that. But it, it was, as I thought about the time of men and women and their activities, and I think of men that I've known and women that I've known throughout the years, and I've been involved with my daughter's organizations when she was young as well, I think there's a ton of men already that are in those roles that are doing informal mentoring, and I'm wondering if there's ways, and again, I don't want to 
go down a rabbit trail, but um, I'm wondering if there's ways in which there's some training or ways in which you can be more effective in those roles to be providing better mentorship to the youth that you're working with. I know that in, from a coaching perspective, there's lots of talk about that. Mm -hmm. That's a very important thing, not just about your skills on the ice or on, on the soccer pitch. But anyway, I, I just was curious about that, if that comes into play at all. Again, not trying to steer us off in, a, in, a, in the wrong direction. No, it's a very, that's a very good point. And right in terms of trying to pin down what it is we're talking about, it gets tricky because there's, there is a big informal mentorship world out there, mm -hmm. right? Here we're talking, for our purposes here, we're talking more of a formalized, community-based sort of setting. Um, so we haven't actually, we haven't captured a whole lot of that. What you're saying is absolutely valid. And can we, are there ways that we can look at supporting our, our coaches, our informal mentor, whether it's through sports, faith organizations, whatever the case may be, right, to, to help support them, support the kids that they work with, right? That's a very, that's a valid and a really good, and a very good point. Um, I think what we know from, and just the, the way our, 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 our society has shifted, right? I think about all the stuff my kids do, and how much time I spend in dad's taxi, <laughs> right? Going from X to Y to Z. Um, it's, it's, right, I don't have a whole lot of extra time to give to mentor someone else right now, mm -hmm. right? In that formal kind of setting, right? Do I do it in uh, formally? Quite likely, I get, and I get to work with some lovely, 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 young, smart, up and coming people, right? So do I do mentoring through my job, perhaps? But at, at this stage, because we had to kind of encapsulate it, that's kind of where we, we went, for sure, right? I'd love it. You and I will talk more. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> because that's, yeah, that's, that's my, that's, we got, there's another problem. Sure. Yeah. Um, just a quick question, like, um, I appreciate the question, it's great. Um, there are so many um, informal mentorship, and particularly speaking with a multicultural perspective, mm -hmm. we don't have a mentorship program speak in those countries. Right. Yeah. Yes, um, exactly. <clears throat> here when you say mentorship, it's such a heavy word. If you ask me to volunteer, I would volunteer for hours. If you ask me to mentor, no. Because there is a kind of, it, it's not clear what this means, because the, the thinking is that there's a lot of, a lot of responsibility there. Like it's like, um, um, someone stands up and, and uh, he or she says that I am a teacher of education and we think that he's a hub of knowledge so it's mentorship means that well somehow whether I would be able to uh, fulfill my responsibilities uh, I would be able to um, complete my tasks so these are my observations I think that's a very important point I hear that one participant I talked to talked about how in some cultures, mentorship, as we're understanding it, is just naturally done by other members of the family, so an uncle or a brother or a cousin. So by putting this label on it, it's, it's confusing and um, might be very intimidating, as you're saying. So I know we have lots of work we get to do on our own this afternoon, but the program itself, is it looking at maybe changing the word mentor or like allowing it to grow for the sense like, cause I, when he was talking about coaching, I was like, that is actually very accurate in the sense that coaching sounds fun and you are mentoring something through coaching. And I had a guy that I just convinced to mentor and I was like, come on, let's be like a coach and this kid not to screw up his life. Like, he was like, <laughs> oh, okay. And so I think that maybe this word has good and bad context in the sense that it is such a heavy word. Have we thought about what power the word could have change it up a little bit. Do you want to take that? Um, I, think, I think this is all good feedback, and I think it's speaking to a, have we defined the problem correctly in terms of um, what the need is? I do know, for, I'll, I'll, I'll pick on one of our partners, their Rotary Club in Calgary. They have 30 young people who are in grade 10, uh, many are boys, who are at risk of not completing high school. And what they're looking for are caring adults to meet with those young people once a week to have those conversations. Many of the kids have been flagged by the schools that this kid's from a single parent family, this kid's experiencing poverty, this kid's gone through trauma, this kid's, like we need a caring adult to be committed to them. 
And so what we're dealing with, while we have a lot of kids who are involved in sports and will have access to a coach, we still have a lot of kids on the, in the, I would say, in the highest need bracket with compounding traumas and complexities that we need to support. And we have many partners across Alberta who, who are trying to zero in on those kids and make sure that they, they get a caring adult that's a non-family member once a week, twice a month, to try and to try and intervene and help them in their life. But so, have you thought about changing the advertising from mentor to caring adult? It, like, yeah. that sounds less intimidating. And like coach, for example, it sounds less intimidating. So it's not necessarily that they're coaching, mm-hmm. but maybe you we're so, we're using this word and we're actually deterring. Uh, sorry, I think I misunderstood your question. I think that's yeah. an. I think that what you're talking about is how we how we are. What what is the ask? And I think that's absolutely something that we should be and can be talking yeah, about. Like so, it doesn't have to be like, let's bring in the coaches for yeah. these kids that are at risk, yeah. but Some, we're trying to get more men involved. How do we market appropriately? Like, uh, Finet? Finel? Vincenzo, <laughs> sorry. There's someone who no said Finet. Um, was describing in the marketing because it could literally be something just like the yeah. word usage. Some say Big Brothers. Some say, what, 4-H, are you? No, but what? Big Brothers sounds yep. intimidating too. Like, no, and, and, but it yeah. does because like I remember when I was younger, I was like, oh, I want to volunteer with Big Brothers Big Sisters. And then the, you have these forms on forms and forms, and it's like, you must commit. It was, I believe at the time, it was, uh, you had to commit to meeting your youth three times a month for a couple hours. It had to be a free activity. You had to be able to drive. And it was like, like I'm 21. I don't have the responsibility for this. And it seemed so intimidating where if it was like, we just want you to care for these kids hang out with them for an hour and talk, that would that would deter like if that's gonna deter me, it's gonna deter a guy who's already thinking, what the heck am I doing? I'm so excited for our small group because like all of this is so rich. You're 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 flagging like five things right there about oh. our, our processes, our background checks, our programs, all of that there too. So yeah, yeah thanks. Perfect. Yeah. So why don't we um, let's let's get ready to move into the 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 next phase of our program, people. Um, one of the things that we want to do and provide a lot of time for. Uh,